It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Thank you so much for joining us today on Three Women, Three Ways. We have kind of a special guest with us, and we're a special topic today as well. We're going to be talking about adoption. When children come into the picture, everything gets more complicated and more concerning. And I have with me today Robin Goebel. Welcome, Robin. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Great. We're going to talk a little bit. We kind of have an eclectic uh, conversation today, I think. Um, Robin specializes in complex trauma, attachment, and adoption. So she has clinical training that includes EMDR, which was a total disaster for me, Robin, but that's a different story. Oh, no. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It works well with a lot of people. Um, And uh, she, she specializes in children with attachment trauma. Now, one of the things that we're talking about are children who experience trauma and who are parented by traumatic, uh, traumatized parents. We know, Robin, that when we talk trauma, whether we're talking children or adults, we're talking some major stuff. What got you involved in this particular field? I have always wanted to work with kids who have experienced significant trauma. I mean, since high school, I would read books and nonfiction about other you know, professionals who did that as their work. And, you know, like a lot of people, I dabbled in a couple different things, kind of going through, you know, undergraduate school. But basically my, really my, you know, almost my whole life, I've known that this is what I wanted to do. Okay. Um, And so you are specializing the adoption factor and the trauma factor. Um, That's interesting. Do we we think of uh, trauma as being higher among adopted children? Well, that is a great question. Um, You know, there's two ways to look at this. One is, you know, a more traditional infant adoption and kids who are, um, you know, individuals who are adopted as babies at birth um, and looking at the trauma that's involved in in relinquishment and being separated from your mother and raised by a different family and the trauma that's involved in that. Um, And then there's children who are adopted through foster care, so after they've been removed from abusive or neglectful home environments. Uh, And I also spend a lot of time working with kids adopted internationally. So they've um, spent time in orphanage care or in other just really, you know, challenging situations prior to coming to the States. And I imagine that if you're not talking about an infant, you're also talking about cultural, you know, I mean, it's traumatic enough to change cultures. and Exactly. Um, yeah, so then to remove, remove, be removed from an orphanage or some sort of group care and then go to an individual family. I can see where that would, you know, come with its whole set of traumas. What about, Absolutely. Um, the kids, what about kids who um, uh, are 
um, uh, involved. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm blobbing here because I'm getting a <laughs> a message on my computer. So I'm not sure how this is going to go here. Okay, I, I told Bob, I, you know, technology has just uh, technology often befuddles me, but right, right no now, kidding. right this day, I mean, it's yeah. just like we oh, just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can we just relinquish yeah. control of the technology and let it do its thing? We can't. I <laughs> we can't let it stop it. We're going to have know, and, yep. and we'll just have geez. Anyway, yeah. I try not to excite, but I have to say I, there are times when I think, you know, a little stone tablet would be nice, you know? Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> well, so, anyway, I'm experiencing my own little mini trauma here, so just oh, sorry. I'm sorry. We're fine. <laughs> So getting back to our topic, um, when we talk about adoption, that's one thing, but we're talking about uh, uh, trauma in general. We know, of course, uh, from uh, various studies, most specifically the ACEs study, that mm -hmm. children who experience carry that with them for the most part, unless there's some pretty good treatment going on. They carry that yep. trauma with them their whole lives, and yes. they, um, you know, that has has some real staggering side effects later on down the road, and yeah. we call Correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, but I think it's when we call it complex trauma, that means it's trauma that has been ongoing uh, for quite some time. Yeah, ongoing, oftentimes inside relationship or the attachment relationship. Yes. Yeah, in a trusting situation where where one would expect or be led to believe that they could trust the people who are abusing them or the situation yes. that that is traumatic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, and then we've got this issue of attachment. Now, I'm going to ask you to tell us why trauma and attachment are associated. I mean, don't we think of attachment as something good? Um, yes. Not only is attachment good, but it's, you know, 100% necessary and, and innate. So we're born with the, you know, the, the, the neural circuitry for attachment. Um, and in the correct circumstances, we develop what we call secure attachment. Um, unfortunately, lots of children, and certainly the children that I work with who have, you know, been harmed, either abused or neglected by their caregivers, oftentimes have um, attachment, I might say like an attachment disruption or an attachment trauma. Um, you know, their needs aren't met or they're ha actually harmed by the people who are supposed to be taking care of them um, so we moved we move away from the ideal like what our systems what we're born to lean into which is secure attachment you know when that when that's not available for us that in and of itself is traumatic hmm. so how does this trauma exhibit itself in in children how does it like? How does it come out behaviorally, or what does it look like? In whatever way. Yeah. Well, it the um, we can see a huge variety of things. So, um, some of the, cl the classic things that I see for kids are, um, you know, just a really hyper aroused state of their nervous system. And so, what I mean by that is, there's like a lot of, um, like dysregulated energy that just kind of hangs out in their bodies. 
and then this comes out behaviorally in all sorts of different ways. It can look like lying or stealing or, you know, just being oppositional or uncooperative all the way to aggression. Um, it can look like um, kids having a really hard time being in an attachment relationship. Um, so instead of um, you know, finding comfort in their attachment experiences with their caregivers, um, it actually causes more distress. Like they don't receive comfort and care and security from those relationships. Okay. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, it can look like, you know, shutting down, checking out, um, you know, being, you know, on the total opposite end of hyper aroused and all this extra energy. It's like an absence of energy. So obviously, if they're school-aged children, that's going to be problematic. If they are yeah. preschoolers, uh, that's going to be problematic. Yeah. Behaviors yeah. then become. I'm I'm, list, I'm reading a book right now. I, one of my favorite authors is Augustine Burroughs, and, and I guess he might be an acquired taste. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not, but mm-hmm. he had a very uh uh-huh. yeah yeah and yeah. um. You know the the one that I'm reading right now is about his memoir on his father who was an abusive person. And the delight in that book is that it is so told through his experience as a child, how he can remember exactly what he was thinking and what he was doing as a child. I suppose he took a lot of license on that, but it's just delightful. And it, and it, it, I mean, even though the circumstances are kind of grim, it's delightful to hear, you know, basically the words of a child, the viewpoint of Mm -hmm. a child. Mm-hmm. who is experiencing this kind of trauma. And it, it's just how children think. We forget how children think. Yeah, yeah, we do. So their yeah. experiences are so different. And I know even in parenting my own children, you know, I mean, they would ask me a question or they would do something and I would perceive it as, mm-hmm. as one thing, but yet in their mm-hmm. minds. I mean, my, my mm-hmm. adult son was saying something the other day. He said, well, when, when I was a kid and you made me go do this, you know, to see this person, blah, 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 I perceived that as you're not trusting me. Mm-hmm. And I'm what? Mm-hmm. How could you possibly mm-hmm. perceive that? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it was just so yeah. completely different. And yet that's how he perceived yeah. it. That has stuck with him all these years. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you as a therapist bridge that gap between the way children think and the way adults think? Well, a huge amount of the work that I do clinically with children is actually with their parents. Um, So doing kind of exactly what you just described, like helping them kind of develop um, some understanding and appreciation and compassion for the lens that their child has and the way that their child is moving through the world, especially in light of their previous experiences, because it is really easy, especially in the parenting relationship, to get really, like, to kind of lose sight of what's actually happening and really personalize our kids' behaviors or, or, or just like you said, to just not be able to see the situation through their lens, like, to get really focused on how we're seeing things. Um which makes it one of the most important point of interventions for me when I'm working with families is to help them understand and see, like, why are their children doing what they're doing? Kids who have experienced really significant attachment trauma, like horrible abuse and neglect inside families or in orphanages, you know, and have really 
their brains have formed outside receiving the attachment relationships that they needed, their behaviors are oftentimes really bizarre and confusing and can feel really hard to make sense of. And as, as parents, um, it can, it's really easy to personalize them. Like, my child's rejecting me. They don't want anything to do with me. I'm a bad mom. Um, so I spend a lot of time with parents and helping them really understand, like, for the brain and the development of the brain and how attachment's related to the development of the brain and then what happens when that, when that doesn't go the way that it's supposed to go and how the brain develops instead and then how that is what's underlying the confusing or even bizarre behaviors. Um, and then when I can get parents to step back and depersonalize and, again, like to see things through their child's eyes or through their child's lens, then that's when, like, the most kind of healing or shift or change can happen for the family. Yeah. The problem now, and I'm going to throw you a little monkey wrench, and I'm, I'm not sure preparing you for this question, so it, it, it's <laughs> probably not fair to ask you, but, you know, you're, you're the expert here. Yep, yep. We, we talk a lot on this show about um, divorce, child custody, domestic violence, uh, intimate partner uh-huh. violence. Yeah. A lot of these families, the protective parent is trying to be as good a parent as she or he can be. They're really yep. trying. Yeah. And yep. yet they are under unimaginable stress. Yeah. The child is under unimaginable stress. Yeah. How can you be a good parent? How can you possibly be a good parent when you're living the trauma? It seems yeah. to me oftentimes when I talk with experts in, in trauma, they're talking about, okay, the trauma's a done deal, and now we're talking today. But what, are, mm-hmm. what, what, can you, what insight can you give us when you're living the trauma and mm-hmm. you want to be a good mm-hmm. parent, but you have stressors up the wazoo and you, yeah. uh, or courts are ordering you that you have to do something with your children or Child Protective Services oh, is yeah. ordering that you yeah. have to do something. And oftentimes those right. places conflict. And uh, yeah, how, what I mean isn't this a whole different level of trauma? And how can you possibly deal with your child's trauma when you're going through all sorts of trauma? I, that's a great question. Um, I mean, this could possibly sound a little pie in the sky, but you know, if that with those families, you know, I'm I'm talking first and foremost about tons and tons and tons of self-compassion and kind of reframing the idea of what does it mean to be a good enough parent. Um, And actually, research is really clear that a good enough parent is, you know, I would say kind of quote unquote, getting it right about 30% of the time. And about another 30% of the time, things are not going well. And then the other kind of 30% of the time, the parent is attempting to, like, repair the times that didn't go well. And so sometimes what that can mean, you know, for, like, for things that are really outside the parent's control, like you're describing, right, like the the parent who's trying to be protective, and there's things that are that they have to do by law that are outside their control. You know, sometimes, you know, with with the old enough child, you know, I'm helping parents just talk about these things, you know, that, um, you know, when things can get put into words and parents can just acknowledge, like, 
I, this is not going the way that I want it to, and I would do anything to change it. It doesn't change the circumstance, and I don't pretend in any way, shape, or form that that changes, like, the level of trauma about the circumstance. But what causes so much traumatic symptoms and what really lodges trauma in the body is when trauma is experienced in a way that leaves people feeling really unseen, really unheard, and all alone. So, again, it doesn't change the trauma, but to at least address it, like to talk about it, to be clear about what's going on, to like not pretend everything's okay, um, you know, just have honest conversations with our kids. This is really hard. This is really hard. I don't know what to do. I wish I could change this. Um, and and then if that family was in my office, I would be, you know, just pouring, you know, compassion and resources into the parent so that the parent can feel, you know, less shamed or less overwhelmed or in the in spite of all of the trauma that's just occurring all around them that they can't, that they have no control over. Hmm. When, you know, even under the, the best of circumstances, um, parents mm-hmm. um, are oftentimes come up short. You know, we already talked sure. about how parents, the adults don't think like children, um, sure. but adults don't experience things like children either. We can right. remember things, maybe a bullying situation or whatever, and we can say, oh, gee, that was really hard for me. But most uh-huh. of the things that children experience, we, we have completely forgotten, overgrown. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think of something. Okay, somebody, uh, you're, you're in high school, you do something embarrassing, and you mm-hmm. feel as a child, uh, as, and mm-hmm. I'm calling these children mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they're the, the grown-ups in the situation, um, mm-hmm. they're feeling like, gosh, life is over, this is horrible. The impact on yeah. them is so much greater. And as adults, we go, yeah, yeah, we all had something like that. It'll ha- you know, you'll, in 10 years, you won't even remember it happened, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. But there's that gap between how we perceive what happens to us as well as the gap between how we think. Um, mm-hmm. So sure. how, do, how can parents deal with that kind of a situation? Well, I work with parents hard to help them fall into what I would call attunement with their kids. And so even if it feels to you like, oh, my gosh, this is no big deal, to, to respond to whatever the child's feeling is in the moment. And if a, you know, if a feeling is, this is huge, this is awful, this is terrible, that parents can respond with, wow, this feels awful to you, this is, this is horrible, this feels like one of the worst things that has ever happened to you. They're not necessarily saying that this is one of the worst things that's ever happened to you, right? We don't have to necessarily agree, but to resonate and to attune to what the experience is in the moment is the piece that helps people feel really seen and heard you don't have to understand what somebody's going through in order to like you don't have to have a felt sense of oh yes I've I've had that exact same experience in order to like attune to and resonate with what their emotions are in that exact moment and so I teach parents how to do that okay so how do you do that (laughs) yeah so I 
yeah, I teach them exactly that. Like, don't, you know, listen to what the feeling is, you know, pay attention to the energy, listen to what the feeling is. And the very first thing you do when somebody's in a high intensity feeling state is to acknowledge the feeling. And then we can go back later and talk about the logic if necessary, or provide facts that help people see like, oh, actually things are a little bit differently than I thought they were. But, you know, to, to label and reflect back the feeling, you are so overwhelmed right now. This feels like the worst thing that has ever happened to you. I see that. I get that. Wow. You know, and to sit in that with them, you know, as parents, we want to fix it. We want to we fix it for them. We want to fix it for us because we don't like what it feels like to be with our kids when they are feeling bad. And so yeah. to coach parents through like that feeling will go away, right? Like if you can sit there and you can be there and you can attune to them, you know, that feeling that the science shows that if a feeling is met and reflected in a relationship, a a tense feeling lasts about 90 seconds. And so 90 seconds feels like a long time when you're in the middle of a big intense feeling, but at the same time it gives people some perspectives. You go like if you can just hang in there, with your kiddo while they're having this enormous experience and just stay with the feeling, you know, yeah, this is awful. I can see you're so upset right now. You know, eventually the feeling recedes um, and then we can start to bring more logic back into the equation if needed. You know, sometimes, sometimes things really are really bad. There's no need for additional logic. It's just like, yeah, this is terrible. Yeah, I think sometimes that was hard for me, I think. I think that's hard for me as a human being to uh, sure. not want to jump and fix and not yeah. want to, to to just to appreciate the value in just recognizing yeah. um, right. the, the pain, discomfort, or whatever that somebody else is experiencing yeah. without wanting to yeah. make them feel better, make them, right. you know, rush in and take care of it. it, it that's, right. that's, that was tough for me. It's still tough for me, you know, I, sure. it, it, quite frankly. I have friends that go through something and I just want to immediately, you know, go fix it for them and, yeah. and you know, get get on my white horse and go take care of it for them. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Um, and that's often not uh, an appreciated methodology. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, some of that's about being human, but some of that's about not having had those kinds of experiences when we were kids, right? That it, you know, like, our parents didn't necessarily know how to do that um, or have the resources available to do that. And so, you know, one of my hopes is that, like, we'll have new generations of children and the children of, you know, the parents that I work with are going to have more capacity for sitting with and hanging with really hard emotions so that it's a lot easier than for them to do that with their kids and their, you know, other relationships. Well, I think that one of the things that I see as a parent also, or I have seen, is kids are smart. So mm-hmm. if you just give them the if we, I mean, it's not good enough to just learn your, a response and have it in Absolutely. your, you know, in, in, yeah. in your little belt tricks. And, right. you know, right. your kid comes home and they're devastated right. and you go, I can see you, you are exactly right. <laughs> yes. So it seems to me there's a gap between what we should do and uh, of knowing what we should do and actually yeah. understanding and putting into what we should do. Right. There absolutely can't be, um, you know, and sometimes when I've, you know, sometimes with parents, I just set the bar pretty low and let them practice it that way um, and that it gets better and better and better. But absolutely, like all of us as humans feel 
we know when somebody is like really with us or not, you know, and they're just kind of giving us lip service or they're just giving us kind of a canned reaction. We all know this. Kids are especially attuned to their inner experience in a way that we, we lose a little bit of when we move into adulthood. Um, so that's a huge, yeah, that's a huge part of the work that I do. You know, I, I do, I do trauma work with kids, but uh, the vast majority of the work that I do is with their parents and with, you know, inside their, their family and inside the parent-child relationship um, and helping parents see through to, like, what's underneath for their kid and how they can attune to it. And, and also reminding parents the statistic I said earlier, which is kids need us to be attuned to them about 30% of the time. Uh, it doesn't have to be perfect. We get to be human, too. Um, and we just have to keep trying. And when we when we mess up or we fall out of attunement or, um, what, you know, whatever happens, that we notice it and we repair it in some way. That's really the most important part, that, the, that it gets repaired. And that repair can be tough, though. Sure. And when we're talking about those traumas that don't, and, and are we talking traumas, traumas? I mean, we're talking about, you know, the examples that I brought up were, you know, in the grand scheme of life, not necessarily that huge. Um, they are mm-hmm. when you're living it in a zoo, but, you know, um, but let's get back to the major traumas mm-hmm. like we were talking yeah. about before, you know, uh, death, divorce, um, you know, yeah. custody battles, you know, court battles, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. Those are are pretty tough traumas that affect everyone around you. Um, How on earth do you go about repairing that? Is there a way to repair that? Say your child has just spent the last two years um, being torn apart and ordered to do things by courts or being dragged to psychologists, being dragged to counselors, being, you know, I mean, there's one thing now that they've had it for a while, but, you know, this, uh, I don't know if you've, heard about it or not but it's particularly egregious it's it's called unification um some sort of unification therapy or something have you heard of that Mm. no not that term no oh well it goes with you know there there's some schools of thought uh unfortunately a lot of people buy into this that if a child doesn't want to be with a parent um Mm -hmm. that the only reason for that must be that the other parent has poisoned the child against that parent. Ah, uh, yeah. And courts buy into a lot of courts buy into this. Yeah. Not every court, but yeah, yeah. And and um, it it was the theory was developed back in the eighties by some guy who got really rich going to court and testifying. <laughs> but um, yeah. And, but the the upshot of that thirty years later is that um, some courts still buy this, and there are a mm-hmm. lot of courts around the. I did, we just did a story last summer about a, a family in Michigan that was ripped apart by this. Mm. The father, in the children's views, the children didn't want to be around him because he was mean and yeah. he was not a pleasant person and they didn't want to go there. Yeah. The du- judge believed that the only reason, uh, and the father argued that the only reason was because the mother poisoned the children's mind. So uh-huh. the judge then reacted by saying, okay, mother who has poisoned your children's minds, we are going to punish you and uh, fix these children by taking them away from you and putting them in reunification therapy where they met with somebody um, uh, routinely to talk about how mom must have lied and, uh, you know, I, I, you, you can imagine how it goes. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and I, I mean, we're talking major 
huge traumas. I mean, in some cases, children are ripped out of the arms of of a protective yeah. parent, never to see them again. Absolutely, for a week, you know. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's trauma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah. has to be trauma sticks of your life. Yeah. If you're the the parent, the protective parent, what? How do you deal with that trauma? How do you deal with parenting under those kinds of circumstances, especially if your time is limited? Yeah. Well. I mean, every circumstance is just so unique, right? I mean, like, I could I could say, you know, I could give an example of how, and it'd probably be kind of ridiculous based on people's resources. And, I mean, we can't, when something traumatic is happening and it's out of our control to make it stop, you know, we, we, that just, I hate to say it, it just becomes kind of, it is what it is. Can we repair it afterwards? Well, it depends on what you mean by repair. Um, I have absolutely been, you know, with parents and children who have repaired um, relationships that have been, you know, kind of poisoned. Um, And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, you know, for both the parent and the child separately and then also together. There's so much grief in what's been lost and, um, you know, the, the sense of feeling so out of control out of, you know, the thing that feels the most important for us to be in control of, which is taking care of our children, right, and to have that experience removed, you know, completely from our power and control is horrifyingly traumatic for the parent, is obviously traumatic for the child, and, like, yeah, there's years and years and years of repair work to do for, you know, both the parent and the child and then their relationship together. Um, I've seen it happen. Um, mm-hmm. That's when the, when the, yeah, no, I've absolutely seen it happen. And when, you know, when there's resources available, um, uh, you know, and people can engage in that kind of services, um, you know, but when really mm-hmm. bad things are happening, the best thing anyone can do, kind of regardless of what that bad thing is, is, you know, keep your head above water and, and keep looking for support. Like, look for some, support's not even the right word. Look for somebody to validate your experience. Look for somebody to say, this is terrible. I can't believe this is happening to you. It shouldn't be happening to you. I can't make it stop. I'm totally powerless here. But what is happening is terrible and it shouldn't be happening. Because most people experiencing traumatic, like ongoing traumatic experiences aren't hearing that. You know, and they start to feel oh, like, I think I must be the crazy person here. I don't understand, you know, like all this other stuff happens. And so, you know, to have it seen and validated and recognized doesn't stop the trauma, um, mm-hmm. but allows the person that we feel really seen and experienced. And that can be a buffer for the severity of the traumatic symptoms that are, you know, dealt with later. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I, I know, you know, one of the things that always drove me nuts about my mother, and, and I had an aunt that did this too, whenever mm-hmm. you kind of opened yourself up and revealed yourself, you know, some, some sort of uh, little mini trauma that you were going through, their first yeah. reaction was, oh, you shouldn't feel that way. Exactly. And for yeah. some, I know what they meant, mm-hmm. but the way they phrased it, you shouldn't feel that way. Right. It always just, in, I, I became incensed every time I heard that. Yeah. You shouldn't feel yeah. that. Yeah. How should I feel? You want to give me a menu? You know, I mean. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Right. I think that was just irrational. I mean, I'm, I'm placing huge blame on my poor mother and my, my yeah. aunt. But 
but it was just the way they phrased it. You shouldn't feel that. Yeah. Way. Oh, okay. And that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oops. Sorry. <laughs> so give right. me the emotion that I should be experiencing, and I'll just turn that switch. And you know, um, and what you're yeah. saying is about the validation and the the um, saying that you know I I hear you, even though that sounds like a trite phrase. So probably if I said that to my children, they would yeah. You know, in twenty years, they would say, right. "Oh, my mom always said I hear what you're saying." You know. Um, so, you know, every generation has to find something wrong with the, you know, it, right. no one, no yeah. one, no one, these are my, my theories of child rearing. No one is a perfect parent. <laughs> nope. And, and, and so, and that's fine. So every generation thinks that they're going to do better because they will pick those things that drove them nuts. Like <laughs> me saying, you shouldn't, you, know, with the, you shouldn't say, you know, feel that way. That drove me uh-huh. nuts. So of course, as a parent, I would never say that phrase, you know, yeah. but there yeah. were other egregious things that we did, you know. Sure. Um, and, yeah. But it seems like. Well, yeah, none of us are perfect and we shouldn't be. But having perfect parents would be terrible. That would not be good for us. So, and I do hope every generation gets a little bit better, you know, that that we're raising people to be thoughtful and introspective and, and see, like, what didn't work and maybe do a little bit better. But then, of course, still have plenty of things that aren't, quote, unquote, perfect. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, you know, it's interesting for me because I'm seeing young people that I, that I knew, that I saw, you know, as, as children, and I'm seeing them now having babies and hearing their theories of parenthood. Yeah. I remember thinking, but we were told we were supposed to do this with you kids, and now these uh-huh. are Yeah. Uh, what was the yeah. one that I was hearing the other day? One of, one of my young friends had, just had a baby, and he was a very smart boy. He had lots of opportunities. And he said to me that he was not going to raise his child the same way that he was raised, where with this notion of you can do anything, you can do anything. And I'm going, you mm-hmm. do understand that we were told we were supposed to tell you that, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that right. do anything, be anything. And here he is now <laughs> saying yeah. that placed an unreasonable burden on me because the fact is I couldn't do anything. Uh-huh. I could do a mm-hmm. lot of things, but I couldn't do yeah. anything. So I'm certainly yeah. not going to level that pressure on my child right. by saying you can be anything, you can do anything. And I'm going, uh-huh. isn't that funny? Isn't uh-huh. that funny? Yeah. We have experts. You're the expert. But you're telling us something. But 30 years from now, there will be different yep. experts, different things yep. and reacting to what we said. And and hence goes the world go round, I guess. But yeah. Um, it, I always told my children that, that, you know, I may as well just relax because knowing that I'm going to do something wrong, I may as well just relax yep. about it, quit agonizing over how to do everything right, just do it the way I want to. It'll be easier on me. And then it'll yep. save them money, you know, paying a psychiatrist later on as to why they, they found fault with me. You know, it'd be right up right. front, you know, they, I'll write yeah. it down for you. You know, if, yeah, if yeah. finding fault with me, I do this, this yeah. you know, it's a, I understand. And you, you have yeah. a chance to do it better. I, I, one of the, I, I think, interesting things that, that I heard a few years ago, but it, it really had an impact on me, is we all have two cracks at this parent-child thing. Mm-hmm. One is the child, yep. one is the parent. Yep. So we all have we two sure shots do. at making a parent-child relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of encouraging, I think. You know? yeah. but, but I think we, yeah. all, we all parent our children the way we wish we had been parented. Yeah. And it isn't until yep. our children grow up that we realize that perhaps that wasn't what our children wanted. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I mean, we're all always just doing the very best that we can, and you know. Yeah. I mean, when I work with <laughs> when I work with adults who you know lived in horribly abusive families and and never you know never got out, you know, like it was never seen, it was never spoken about, mm-hmm. you know, they they are very clear that like if even if it had never stopped. If somebody somewhere had acknowledged that it was happening, it was a terrible thing for it to happen, and they were so sorry they couldn't make it stop. Like that, what a difference that would have made. You know, if, if to just know that somebody, somebody could validate their experience. Because when you're a kid, you validate your experience based on what the adults are saying your experience is. Um, yes. And when everybody's acting like it's not, like this is fine, this is no big deal. Nobody seems to think this is a big deal, <laughs> you know. When when that's what everything's happening with the adults around you, yeah, it's it just compounds the trauma. And so I, I've had a lot of adults say, if 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 somebody had just been honest and said, this is terrible, it shouldn't be happening, I can't do anything to make it stop. You know, like what a difference that would have made. And in their childhood yeah. and it was so different then just like you know i mean in, in 25 years somebody else a different generation will be having this conversation talking about all the things that we did wrong when in fact i was in the generation that read all the books and tried to do everything perfectly you know um yeah. and yet yeah. you can't be perfect and and the books nope. don't address my particular child or children yeah the books don't address this little boy and that little girl they they address globally and well, yeah, no, I'm often telling parents to stop reading books, you know, like no more parenting books for you. Like what we're going to learn together is how to be in attunement and to get to know this little human that's here with you, right? Like there's no, there's no manual for this particular child. So let's learn how to be in attunement with this kid. Yeah, and the the, the notion yeah. that somehow or other a generalization can be made about your child. Well, yeah, you can make generalizations right. about human beings. You know, we're bipedal, sure. we, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right, right, right. But this is <laughs> kid, and when you have more than one child, you, I mean, this is glaringly obvious. You know, what's good for this one, what works with this one, does not work with that one, is not good for that one, does not meet that one's needs. I had one child that... Oh, my gosh, we interviewed private schools, and she picked the Catholic nuns with the rigid, 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 and I thought, are you kidding me? I would kill myself after about three weeks here. But for her, this is paradise. I had another child who didn't even want to go to school. It was way too structured for him. You know, they're so different. I I always said if I could put them in a blender and poured out two new kids, they both both those new kids would have been perfectly balanced, perfectly (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know, like, you know, they don't make blenders big. No, I'm saying. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's really hard. I would also like to ask, because I've gotten mm-hmm. a lot of trouble with this. You can probably tell I have a bizarre sense of humor. And mm-hmm. one of my children shares, unfortunately, my sense of humor. The other one did not. Not mm-hmm. at all. And I realized at one point um, when she was about five, Mm-hmm. that I was so in tune with the other child as far as sense of humor, he and I could just kind of riff, right? Yeah. And we'd do the thing like crazy. And I didn't eat, it didn't even occur to me that she felt left out. And mm-hmm. so one day we were talking and we were laughing and she said, I, I get it, Mommy. I get it, Mommy. And all of a sudden I thought, oh, my gosh, this poor child has been sitting there all this time yeah. not feeling a part of all of this. How terrible uh-huh. is that? 
So she'll probably be calling you up next week and make an appointment for the trauma she suffered. But, you know, yeah. I... It, it, well, I mean, we're still <laughs> going to talk about, like, day-to-day parenting again. Like, the bar is not terribly high, 30%, right? Like, we, like, there's so much that goes into why it's important for there to be missteps in the parent-child relationship, and it builds resilience, it builds healthy robustness in the nervous system, their ability to manage stress as they go out in other relationships. I mean, there's it, it wouldn't be good for kids to be perfectly attuned to them all the time. What's important, you know, is when our kids say, you know, finally, so, something happens where it finally dawns on us, like, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize this thing had been happening. But there's just some acknowledgement of that, like, wow, I, I didn't know. I know now. Thanks for, you know, thanks for letting me know. You know, like, that's just acknowledged instead of, like, shamed or downplayed or, you know, that's yeah. really the most important piece. So, and even that we can't do right all the time, you know, or even half of the time. We just have to keep trying. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think that, you know, one of the things that I also saw with my kids is that I tended to t- take my parenting as so, so much more seriously, so much more mm-hmm. seriously. And as they, as they aged, I started realizing, who do I think I am? I'm not that powerful. Exactly. But but I see a lot of younger parents now who are, you know, the term helicopter parenting is what twenty five years old now. But I see it as more than a helicopter. I have a, a number of people that I work with, and I work with some of the students sometimes. And these parents, these parents have notebooks for every class that their child takes for every grade level, and you know, each child. I mean. One one mother yeah. I know has you know this boy has a blue has blue folders this one has green folders this one has red folders every day that they come home from school and even online now that they put post assignments <laughs> the mother tracks of, of the things in her notebooks then they coordinate their notebooks and you know in a fate I I've had calls from second graders saying uh, mothers of second graders saying my son got a three and and all the rest were fours. I need a tutor. Yeah. Yeah. So you're talking an intensity yeah. of parenting that makes me shudder. Even yeah. though I took yeah. parenting pretty darn seriously, are you seeing, I, I, is that a form of, is that trauma waiting to happen? Is that, what, what's the uh, going to be the upshoot of this? Because this is not isolated. This is, this is happening a lot, this level of intensity of the parenting. Sure. Right. Uh, yeah, it absolutely can is another form of like attachment based trauma right to have because what really is be is happening is the parent is unable to tolerate any of the negative feelings that come up around a child failing or not being perfect or being disappointed or that's that's when we start to helicopter or micromanage our kids it's it's actually really less about them and more about us um and how bad it feels for us to watch it happening we don't we're not aware of this but um, yeah. And so to to be a child who is always protected from disappointment or, um, you know, not being perfect or who is parented by somebody who's clearly sending the message that you must be perfect or you, you it's not okay to fall down and hurt yourself or that's too distressing for me as a parent you know, really yeah. impacts, like, the development of self um, and in its own way is absolutely a trauma. And I see, you know, I see those adults in my office 
um, who have to learn how to like regulate through disappointment or through not being perfect or, you know, really develop their own sense of self and who they are. Yeah. Well, I had, I, maybe my daughter won't be calling you. I remember when she was in like <laughs> upper elementary, junior high era, and she was at this perfect school, you know, with the, with the nuns and everything. And, uh-huh. and I told her, time to go to bed. No, I have a test tomorrow. I have to study. I said, you know, you, no, study time's done. Yeah. If you don't have it now, you're not yeah. going to have it by 7 o'clock yeah, tomorrow yeah. morning, so yeah. it's done. No, no, no. And she was so intense. And I, I would get so frustrated trying to manage this girl who was so intense. I, I kept trying to mm-hmm. pull her back. The other one, I kept saying, could you get a little bit more intense, you know? Um, but frustration, I looked at her and, I, she, and she said something about, well, if I don't study harder, I won't get an A. And I just looked at her and I said, I don't want you to get an A. As a matter of fact, I mm-hmm. forbid you from getting an A. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's a lot to be learned from an yeah. A. Yeah. A lot to be learned from I, I forbid, and I to tell you the truth, I don't remember whether she actually took me seriously or not. But you know, I, I did. I said, I forbid you from getting an A on that test. You are forbidden. Uh-huh. No, yeah. <laughs> you must fail huh? something. Pick it out. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, choose what you want to fail at, but you're going to fail. You will get an F. Yeah. Um, yeah. And of course, you know, my daughter now, who is an accountant, says to me, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, well, I traumatized her with some of these notions. You know. But I, I just, you know, what do you do? You know, what do you do as a parent? Because there is something to be learned from failure. Yeah, of course there is. You know, bringing that full circle in our conversation, there's also something to be learned from trauma. Absolutely. If we know how to learn it it and take a lesson from that and not have it damage us. So yeah. if you can write down four or five points on how we can all do that, we can end the conversation now. And You, know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you bet. Write I have a program <laughs> just for that. Yeah. Yes, but you're absolutely right. You know, there there is a level of depth that's, you know, it's part of, like, who we are, you know, as a human. And, and you know, people who have experienced, like, tragedies that many people find unimaginable, you know, and then and then they they find the ability to to move through and whatever language you want to use, um, like I I don't love language like and heal from it or move on. Like I don't really love language like that. And just just move through and 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 bring that into kind of the fabric of who you are, recognizing that these terrible terrible things have happened and they shouldn't have happened, but they did happen, and they're a part of who I am and what I bring and I offer into the world, and that that's something unique and special because of those things that happened to me, you know, and that that doesn't mean that those things are okay or good or I'm grateful that they happened, but that they did happen and they've impacted who I am and who I am is pretty cool and I'm grateful for that and. You know, I've got something to offer the world because I've had these experiences and, and the depth and the richness that it's it's kind of created in my nervous system. And we often see those people being the best helpers for the new generation of people who are going through really, really terrible, awful things. Um, we're not, we're not going to stop generations of kids who are going through terrible things, and we need helpers for them. Um, well, and if, if we persist, uh, you know, as some of the parents that I was talking about, if we persist in this notion that every that there is to be perfection, that perfection is to be achieved, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. you know, 
think of the difficulties um, when, yeah. when it's no longer there. I mean, I, I look at some of these children who have never experienced uh, adversity, who have never experienced, right. um, you know, uh, failure. Right. And I right. think, I believe that that's a form of abuse. I really do. Yeah. I think that that, yeah. that inflicts a, a certain level of trauma as well. Certainly not the same yes. as the complex trauma we were talking about earlier, but it is a form of trauma. And yeah. I think it's an insidious form of trauma. So, you know, it, 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 it's interesting. And um, I think that the whole notion of parenting, you know, I don't know about you. I don't know about other people. But I know I, I had children thinking that it was something that I could fit into my, ni- my life. And I was really gobsmacked as a younger woman to realize that, no, this is not something I fit into my life. This has created a new life, yeah. a new life for me, yep. not just my children. Yep. And I think sometimes we minimize the impact of parenting. And with so much trauma going on, so much trauma that we have identified, so much that we have have, have to live with, you know, um, wow, you know, it's complicated, it's complex. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I admire people like you who work in this field because it, it, it's staggering to me to look at, yeah. at some of the things to do and to yeah. acknowledge the responsibility that we have one generation for turning the world over to another generation and to try mm-hmm. and do it as best we can. So I appreciate your time, Robin. Any, any final thoughts you yeah. want to leave us with before we wrap up the episode here? Well, I, I mean, I'm just so grateful for you and for your show and, and for being invited. I mean, I think the more, you know, so grateful for the ACEs study, you know, like I'm watching our culture get more and more aware of the impact of trauma and then also more and more aware of this doesn't have to define your life, right? Like, yes, it impacted you. And here's, here's some ideas on how to, on how to support and how to see it and recognize it. And and again, like you said, like make a new life. Um, And that wasn't true, you know, when I even finished graduate school, like the, the conversation about this and our culture now is, is, is growing. And I'm just really grateful for that. Yeah. I think we live in a good time for this. Uh, there, uh, you know, certainly we're, we're still creating traumas. We're still creating situations, sure. uh, yeah. but we are talking more and more about how to learn from and grow from those or yeah. Yeah. Not even yes. despite those because of those to grow because yes, of them. because uh, of them. Yes. And, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I've had a good time talking with you. Of course, I always Me have too. a good time about my failures as a mother. <laughs> oh, there's no such thing. We're all doing the best we can. <laughs> Thank you so much, Robin, for sharing some of your expertise with us. It's just, I just feel like I've had a conversation about parenting. Thank you very much, Robin. Go. If somebody wants to contact you, do you have a website? I do have a website. It is um, my last name, GobelCounseling.com. Thank you for joining us. And thank you, Robin, for sharing all of your information. And join us again next week on Three Women, Three Ways. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.